Well, in today's sermon, I'm going to bring you back to this, okay? But we're going to start a little differently this week. I'm reading from Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2, beginning with the first verse. And the writer has a little topic heading here, and the heading says, The Value of Wisdom. My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, and inclining your ear to understanding, and your heart to understanding. If you indeed cry out for insight, and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, and search for it like a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk blamelessly, guarding the paths of righteousness, guarding the paths of justice, and preserving the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. So ends the reading. Jesus taught them, saying, how many times have we read that, heard that, or actually uh, uh, seen that ourselves, uh, written down, especially uh, at the, toward the beginning of a biblical story? Jesus taught them, saying, 28 years ago, about this time of year, Wendy and I packed up our Phoenix house and we moved to North Carolina so that I could attend theological school at Duke University in Durham. We'd been involved in full-time ministry for about, well, actually over four years at that point, and we had decided that doing God's work in the church for the rest of our lives would be what we wanted to do, and it would be where God was calling us. Well, I can remember looking forward to sitting at the feet of the many storied and studied and highly touted professors at Duke and learning from them. It was sort of like, lessons from the temple, sort of like holy, heavenly lessons being taught from the temple, so to speak. And although, depending on many variables, I got to know some professors much better than others, many of my relationships with my teachers at Duke were sort of at a distance. They were somewhat removed from me as a student. And I'm sure that a big part of that was because I had placed all my professors on a pedestal. I mean, after all, they were highly educated academics in an ivory tower, and I was just a regular guy from Arizona. And now that I think of it, and it is especially fitting for this summer sermon series that we're starting today, one could possibly characterize some of my time at Duke as a type of distance learning, as crazy as that may sound. And I don't know about you, but the first time I ever heard distance learning um, a few years ago, it meant online courses. And of course, I had no online courses. But it was kind of at a distance. Our relationships were, for the most part, and most often, kind of at a distance. Well, let me read to you just a couple of 
short scriptures. And these four short scriptures I'm going to share with you are from the Gospels. The first two are from Matthew, the next one is from Mark, and then the last one is from Luke. And these are just little glimpses, little snapshots, little examples. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the, beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Here's the next one from Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them many things, saying to them, Here's the third one. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large, large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And lastly, as our examples today, one day as he was teaching the people in the temple and telling the good news to them, the chief priests and the scribes came with the elders and said to him, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Who is it who gave you this authority to teach? So ends these short examples for our sermon today. Well, today, as I spoke of a moment ago, we begin a new summer, ser summer sermon series, Lessons from the Temple. Now, in this series about learning once again to be faithful followers of Jesus, we will take a long look at the many things Jesus taught his disciples and the crowds that gathered around him and gathered around them. We will look at some specific life lessons that we still carry with us even to this day. This will not be another version of distance learning, so to speak, kind of like we spoke of in the above example. No, the sermons in this summer series will highlight several aspects of discipleship, which is simply learning to be like Jesus in every way. And really, isn't that our goal in this life? Now, the intent of each sermon in this series is to make the truths taught and lived by Jesus tangible, touchable, real to us, and palpable in every way. You see, Jesus himself was tangible. Jesus was touchable in every way to the people around him. Jesus, the regular guy who had grown up in the, in the, the county of, uh, of Galilee, so to speak, and in the town of Nazareth, he was still referred to by many as teacher, Lord, rabbi, or master, seemingly putting him above his students and followers. Yet Jesus never did put himself above and distant from his students. He never put himself above his followers and those who listened to his many lessons. No, Jesus walked the dusty roads. He lived among the sick and the diseased and the downtrodden. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head Jesus laughed. He ate and he cried with hundreds and thousands of people. And on so many occasions, 
Jesus pulled up a stool. He sat on a hill. He sat on a seat in a boat. He knelt by a rock. He waded in the water and he got into a dirty, smelly boat and he taught them all how their lives could be changed forever and changed for the better. We all know that Jesus was like that, don't we? Look at so many occasions and events where Jesus kind of staged an important teaching moment, like on the grassy hill when he shared the Beatitudes, as mentioned earlier today in Matthew 5, or also much later in Matthew when he kind of positioned himself in a boat to assume the posture of a rabbi sharing his sage advice with the large crowd who had gathered on the shore. Then there were the other kind of organic circumstances where on occasion, actually where an occasion to teach and share an important heavenly truth, it kind of unfolded like peeling away an onion, kind of unfolded like the time so many gathered near Capernaum to be healed, as we see in the Gospel of John. And when and Nicodemus came to him by night to learn that he must be the one to experience genuine conversion in order to understand, finally understand, heavenly things rather than earthly things, as Jesus said. Then again, in John, there was the time where Jesus taught the Samaritan woman at the well about living water. And then when Jesus knelt down and wrote in the sand, remember that? John chapter 8, I think. Jesus knelt down. He wrote in the sand what many believed to be the sins of the men who wanted to stone the adulterous woman who stood before her accusers, awaiting a painful execution. Jesus took that opportunity to teach heavenly truths about judgment sin, but more importantly about grace and forgiveness, not only from God to us, but forgiveness from us toward each other. Indeed, it's fully expected when we discuss the life parables and lessons of Jesus to find ourselves exclaiming like we did earlier today, quote, and Jesus taught them saying, yes, teaching every available moment the truth, truths that would change people's daily lives seem to be his way of faithful service to his Father in heaven. You know, it was his way of fulfilling the mission he proclaims in his inaugural synagogue address as described in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, which we will discuss much more fully, and we're going to look closely at that text in Luke 4 next week. Well, according to David Guzik's commentary on Luke 4, and I quote, Thankfully, Jesus didn't come to only preach deliverance or even to only bring deliverance. Jesus came to be deliverance for us. You know, many of the people who heard Jesus' message in Galilee, who yearned to be taught by him, they would have been familiar with the Mosaic Law as presented in the Torah. And depending on their family and their upbringing and their teaching and learning opportunities, many would have treasured the sage teachings of Proverbs, especially 
in today's reading from chapter 2, which we shared earlier. And it's in chapter 2 of Proverbs. It kind of lays it out. It presents, I think, what they would have been looking for in a hands-on rabbi like Jesus. Sound teaching, wisdom, guidance, and a great deal of insight, as it mentions, insight into the mind of God and what God desires for humankind in order to thrive and grow in grace and knowledge and in truth. Granted, they wanted to be fed and granted they yearned to be healed. That's quite obvious as you read the gospel stories. Some of them being healed and were healed for the first time in their entire lives. But I still think it's safe to say They sought Jesus as somebody worth following, somebody they could finally trust and somebody from whom they wanted to learn. Referring pointedly to the nature of Jesus, John Chrysostom said this, So if we give diligent attention to entertainment, sports, music, or to the news, how much more should we give careful attention when a man is speaking from heaven and utters a voice plainer than thunder, end quote. You know, noting his thoughts on Jesus' teaching, Marcus Borg writes this, quote, Centering in God transforms us. It changes us. It produces what Paul called the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. It is what Jesus meant when he said, You will know them by their fruits. The fruits of centering in God are many, and are intertwined, but the most important are compassion, freedom, and courage, and gratitude. Sequencing them is thus not about their relative importance. No, putting them all together and having them as one, that's what's most important. Accordingly, Jesus was without a doubt, as we said a moment ago, he was tangible, touchable, challenging, practical, understandable, and he was even mysteriously holy and otherworldly all at the same time. So why then did Jesus command such a large audience? Well, other than his unmistakable, engaging love, which we will ponder and peruse in a couple weeks, I think many people hung on his words, seriously considered the lessons he taught, and were challenged by his thought-provoking truths simply because those who followed him remembered God's words spoken by the prophet Isaiah, where God says to the fearful listeners at that time, quote, If you do not stand firm, you shall not stand firm at all. Lastly, and important not only for today but for the rest of this sermon series, during this summer. Has it ever crossed your mind that Jesus' mission to heal the brokenness in the world, to release the captives, and to lift up the downtrodden is also your purpose in your life's mission? When was it that you knew without a doubt God was calling you to heal the fractures that were laid bare before you? Remember the times that you have felt inadequate for the task of seeking justice and truth, for example? 
the times when you knew you wanted more tools, tools and grace and strength, especially from God? And what about all the needs of the world around you that are still groaning, that are still waiting for the Savior's life-saving touch? Yeah, it's my hope. It's my hope as your pastor. It's my hope as the guy with the microphone today. It's my hope that this summer, the sermon series, Lessons from the Temple, and the Heavenly Truths, and practices we learn, and the new ways of living we experience will be well, well worth your time. Indeed, tangible, touchable, concrete, significant, and meaningful to exactly what you and I are going through in our lives today in this still COVID-infested world in which we live. Yes, tangibility, touchability, and meaningful is what the purpose of each sermon will be in this series this summer. And let's also remember from Marcus Borg while commenting on the teachings of Jesus. This is what he said, quote, The Christian life is not about pleasing God, the finger shaker and the judge. The Christian life is not about believing now or being good now for the sake of heaven later. The Christian life is about entering a relationship in the present that begins to change everything now. Spirituality is about this process, the opening of the heart to the God who is already here. End quote. Let's join together in a prayer now, a prayer that the messages we experience over the coming weeks will allow God to put more tools in our belts, more fuel in our tanks, and more of God's engaging love in our hearts, giving both you and I and all those around us what we each need to be the healing balm in today's hurting and all too often crazy and angry world. So may it be, and we all say together, Amen and Amen.